Well, dear congregation, I invite you now to please turn your prayerful attention to not that passage that I read to you in your hearing, but that passage in Luke chapter 4. It is really these words that we read there in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61, and they are given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ, those same words, the Lord Jesus, he began to preach in Galilee, and he read that portion of the scroll of Isaiah to the people in his hearing. And we read in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, these words, and we can be absolutely sure as we return back in a moment to uh, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 61, that these things concern the Lord Jesus Christ. We read, notice, in the verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Or Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel of to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Now, there are several things to note as we come to this passage, not here in Luke. I simply wanted to read that to you to show you that what we read there in Isaiah 61 concerns None else but the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the things I want you to notice there, that the book of Isaiah was delivered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's truly remarkable. He was given this book, of course, it was that to be read on that day. And the Lord Jesus turned to that specific passage of Scripture to declare these truths about himself. He said at the end there, this day... Is this scripture fulfilled in your ears? What things? Well, the things that he has said here concerning the one who is filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We read in Isaiah that when he should come, that the Spirit of the Lord should rest upon him. Now, he is, of course, God the Son, but he is God the Son come in the flesh. And... Though being the Son of Man, or the Son of God, he became the Son of Man, and yet we have within the Son of Man the Spirit of God, fully endued and endowed with the Spirit of God. 
At his baptism we are told that the Spirit descended upon him as like unto a dove. Of course, he was always filled with the Spirit, but in a peculiar manner. He was endued with the Spirit of God to preach in power and able to do mighty acts. It is by the finger of God, by the power of God, that he cast out devils. It is by God he was filled. He is God, the Son, and yet filled with the Spirit of God. And as we notice in this verse 18 of Luke chapter 4, there are several things that the Lord does when he comes with his gospel. You notice we read there, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said, because he hath anointed me. Nobody else but Christ can do the things that we read here. No preacher can give what and can do what Christ can do. It's Christ alone. The preacher cannot make you a new person. It is Christ himself by his Spirit and by his power that he's able to do certain things. He came to preach the gospel of the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Only the Lord Jesus can heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives. Well, we preach in his name as preachers. But it is he that sets the captive free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And recovering of the sight to the blind. Only Christ can do that. The preacher, no minister can do that. No minister can truly bring spiritual light. Here we're not talking merely about the physical sight, but the making of those who are spiritually blind to see and to set at liberty them that are bruised. Well, he does the bruising and he sets them free. Let me say this, only those that have been bruised will ever be set free. Those that are in their sin are very comfortable in their sin. And they don't want to be bruised over their sin. And they'll never be set free. But what Christ does is he bruises. And we read a bruised reed he will not break. He may bruise you by his word. He may smite you with his word. But he'll not break you. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Well here he is. The Lord has come in the flesh. And then he closed the book. Now I want us to turn back to here Isaiah 61, that passage that we read in our hearing. And I want to address us all this evening, whether Christian or you're not a Christian, but I primarily want to bring the gospel to us all. The gospel must be preached to all men, whether saved or unsaved, because we don't know who the Lord is going to save. The Lord will save and we are commanded to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to all creatures. Now notice, as we come here to Isaiah, this is a marvelous passage. And these things are spoken of hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus would ever come into the world. Isaiah 61, notice there with me. As these things are proclaimed, we read... The Spirit of God is upon me because he hath heard, he, he hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, and he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, this, as the Lord said, this scripture 
has been fulfilled this day. This was the acceptable year of the Lord. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman made under the law. It is the year of his coming. Now I want to take you just very briefly, look at Isaiah 63. And uh, we read here, if you notice just Isaiah 61, it's really on the same page. Isaiah 61, you notice in the verse 2 it says, To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Now some people might say, well that's really strange. When they look at this uh, phrase here, the day of vengeance of our God, and then to comfort all that mourn, they think that this is judgment day. This is not judgment. This is not the final judgment day. But I want to take you, just look at Isaiah 63. There was a day of vengeance, my friends. There was an extreme day of vengeance. And it came because the year of our Lord came. He came into this world. He took on himself bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh. Now you notice in Isaiah chapter 63, we have a vision here of one who will tread the winepress of God's wrath alone. And that was the Lord Jesus. You notice in Isaiah 63, who is this that cometh from Edom? Edom, by the way, are the enemies of God's people. The Edomites, we know that even Herod and them came from Edom, related to the Edomites, with dyed garments from Bosra. This is that glorious in his apparel. The Lord is saying, look at this one. Behold, who is this that comes traveling in the greatness of his strength? I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. There's only one person that has ever lived, my friends, that can say, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. The righteous one, the Son of God. None of us can speak in righteousness. And that is what makes him mighty to save. The Bible says he was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And then we read, Wherefore art thou red? Here's the one looking and beholding this one coming in this great strength. Wherefore art thou red in, the, in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? And then we read, He answers back, he replies, Have a look. I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. Now think for a moment. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment. Now notice, for the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is come. Now notice, and I looked and there was none to help and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. 
Now, there are two days of vengeance. Let me say this. There was the day of vengeance at Calvary. There was the day of vengeance when God's wrath fell upon Christ and he trod the winepress alone. Remember, we see we have a vision of him there in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops, as it were, of blood sweat, dripping down upon him. The anguish of his soul, knowing what he would have to endure. And we read here, Verse 5 of Isaiah 63, And I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. As Christ was determined to suffer, as he was going through the agonies of all that Calvary was bearing upon his heart and mind, his anger and his fury against the sin of his people, It was his fury against sin that upheld him. He remained God. He was God and hating sin as he was dying there upon the cross. Never did he love his people more than when he was laying down his life for his sheep. He said, my father loved me because I lay down my life for the sheep. But never more did he hate sin, friends. It was his wrath and his fury there upon the cross as he was dealing with the sins of his people, as he was bearing their guilt and condemnation. It was his wrath, it was his fury, not only the wrath of the Father that was pouring out upon him, but his own anger and hatred and disgust of the acridness of sin that he was being upheld. And loving his own, he loved them even unto the end. This is the day of the Lord and the day of his vengeance. My friends, there was a judgment day for God's people. But there was one who bore it for them. At Calvary, there was a day of judgment. God spared not his son, but delivered him up. Delivered him up what to, to, to what to God's wrath, to God's justice. It was damnation, said Rabbi Duncan, and he bore it lovingly. And that's what he did at Calvary for his people. And that's what he says there in Luke. The day of vengeance, the day of the Lord has come. Now who are his people? Are they simply people that say, I believe in Jesus, all is well. Is that a Christian? No, I want to take you to the verse 3. Because following those who are comforted, there are things that follow those that are comforted. In Isaiah 63, 61 verse 3, I take for my text this evening, The verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Zion, dear friends, is a word to describe God's spiritual people. You know, the Bible speaks of God's people. They are citizens of heaven. Jerusalem, which is the mother of us all. Zion was used, that term, to describe Jerusalem that was upon a mount, 
And that's where it was. And God's people, as it were, are upon the Mount of Christ. They're upon the rock. Jerusalem, God's people, are established on Christ, who is the rock. Who is the rock of their salvation. And he is to them, they're all in all. And there are certain things. You want to know whether you're a Christian. You want to know what a Christian is. You want to know whether you have been saved. And there are various evidences, friends. The word of God is replete. Not just in 1 John, but in many passages of Scripture that show you what a true Christian really is. What man ought to be, really, in his heart. Here we have a description in verse 3 of the heart of somebody that is saved. And, and let me put it this way. That's the heart of the matter, isn't it? The heart of salvation is what? The heart of a man. It's not what he looks like on the outside. It's whether the heart has been changed. Whether there is true repentance. Or whether there's just a, a prick of conscience. Or whether the heart has been fundamentally changed. As we were discussing in fellowship, salvation is a radical change of life. It's a radical change of how you see yourself now. How you once saw yourself and even how you look at others. Those people are meek. And they especially mourn over their own sins. Well, let us look at verse 3. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them the beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. So what we have here. We could say is the planting of the Lord. Here is what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 6. The one who is born again, raised with Christ in newness of life. That they might be called trees of righteousness. Dead to the old life. Alive now to Christ. And there are certain characteristics of these people that are pointed out here. So as we consider these words, I want us to think there are three powerful illustrations in this verse. First of all, beauty for ashes. And then we'll consider the oil of joy for mourning. And then we'll consider the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So they have ashes. It says there, how the Lord will give unto them beauty for ashes. These people have ashes. What, what, what on earth does this mean? And as we look at these things here, these three aspects, the oil of joy for mourning, these are what we would call gracious exchanges of God. When he changes somebody's heart, changes their life, changes their disposition, changes their outlook, changes their view of themselves and of the world and of God. And all things become new. 
So that's what we have. These are all of them gracious exchanges that God gives to those who have been made to mourn. And that's really the setting of verse 2, to comfort all that mourn. You can only have comfort if you have these things. You are to seek the Lord. If you do not have these things, if you're found wanting, seek the Lord while he may be found. Hear his word. If you do have them, may there be reason to give praise and thanks to God this evening for his goodness to you. Do you have these things? First of all, beauty for ashes. Well, it was very common in the Old Testament when somebody was grieved and they had greatly sinned and they knew they had grieved God and they were distraught. What would they do? They would cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes. Remember how Jonah was called to go and to preach to the city of Nineveh and the people were to, to repent and to, to cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes. Well, what did that really represent? Ashes, dust. That's what ashes are. From ashes to ashes, dust to dust. What you're saying is, that's all I am, God. I'm dirt. I've sinned. I am, as it were, the offscouring of this earth. We know... Job, when everything was taken away from him. We know that Job, he was a righteous man. There were very few like Job, or none like him, actually, we're told in his day. And so gracious was that man that when everything was taken away, what did he do? He shaved his head, tore his garments, and he covered himself in sackcloth and ashes. And he said, naked I came, naked shall I return. The Lord has blessed, the Lord has given the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Job saw himself to deserve nothing in this life. All that he had was from God. And my friend, same with you, same with me. Have we any reason to complain? We deserve nothing. In Job 42 verse 2, Job said this, I know that thou canst do everything. And that no thought can be withholden from thee. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job said, you know, at the end of all of his trial, he said, Lord, by the hearing of thine ear, of the ear, I've heard of thee. But now I've seen thee, Lord. I've seen thee at work in the life. And now I just abhor myself. I'm ashamed of all that I've muttered. I repent in dust and ashes. Really, that speaks of a felt sense of worthlessness. Job, a righteous man. It's all he saw himself. That's a true sorrow, isn't it? True repentance of heart. And this is what a man does, as it were, when he sees himself for the first time. 
for what he really is. He wants to hide himself in the dust. I don't know if you've ever been so ashamed of yourself. You want to go and hide. You can't even look at yourself in the mirror. And you go and hide. And that's the sense. Have you ever been utterly disgusted with yourself? Don't lose that. And that's how you always ought to think about yourself. Always. You know, never be ashamed of Christ, but always be ashamed of yourself. That's a good shame. None of us ought to ever boast. We've got nothing to boast about. Job felt like less than dust. He just wanted to sort of bury himself. And that's, that's the true Christian. Now, what does the Lord give in exchange for this? Well, we're told. Beauty for ashes. What does the Lord do? The person who feels their utter disgust and their worthlessness, God gives the beauty of his son to them. And they never boast. Jesus Christ becomes all their boast. They stop ridiculing other people and going on about other people and blaming everybody else for all the mistakes in their life. They say, no, I'm at fault. I'm the sinner. There's that man in the temple could not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. Kept beating his breast. Why was he beating his breast? Because he felt the pain of his own sin. He felt his own heart. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Look back at your life, friend. Who's to blame? Who's to blame for all the faults of my life? I am. You are. Job. He could say, Lord, I've seen thee now, wherefore I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Problem is, with most people, they've never really seen themselves. What are you? What am I before an infinitely holy God? And even when the Lord saves us and brings us to a knowledge of himself and brings us into truth, what have you received That has not been given you. God gave you all that you have. Never boast over other people. Never look down on others. All that you have is from God. All the blessings and opportunities you have had are from God. Therefore none of us can ever boast. Throughout our Christian life as we we progress on and as we grow on in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. We ought to become more ashamed because the more we know we never seem to put to practice in the life. So we ought to be more humble the more we go on in our lives if we're Christians. We want you who are unsaved to know. Friends, we are not the people we ought to be. But we can say we are what we are by the grace of God. And what does God do? God's people are always, as it were, covering themselves in ashes. Not physically, But that's where they feel they belong. They feel they belong in the dust. Unworthy. Yes. What does the Lord call Jacob? Many years later, Isaiah 41, 
14, fear not thou, worm, Jacob. And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord. You see, the Lord will help these people. Were you prepared to call yourself a worm, friends? The worm belongs in the dust, doesn't it? Worm belongs in the ashes. That's where I belong. But the Lord says, you know what, I'll help you. The man that lifts himself up and pretends he's better than other people, that's pharisaical, my friend. That person's not saved. You've never seen yourself. You've never understood your wretchedness before God. And the Lord gives. Here, as we notice, beauty for ashes, the beauty of Christ, and that's all we can boast in. The lovely in heaven, when we get to heaven, what what will we be? What will be our boast? Christ. That's it. The one who lived the life we never lived, and who died the death that we deserve, as we thought. Vengeance was laid on him. He bore the wrath. He bore that wine press. There was nobody that could help him. Who could help Christ? Who was sinless? Nobody. But the sinless Son of God came into this world. Joel chapter 2 verse 12. The Lord says, Turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments. A lot of people have an outward show, don't they, of humility. But it's not real humility. The Lord wants sinners to rend their hearts, be torn inside. In Joseph Hart's hymn, we read, If dust and ashes might presume, great God, to talk to thee, If in thy presence can be room for crawling worms like me. And again, Mr. Wesley's hymn, Dust and Ashes is my name. My all is sin and misery. Friend of sinners, spotless lamb. Thy blood was shed for me. That's the true Christian. No hope but Jesus Christ. Well, that's it. It's the grace of God, isn't it? Beauty. For ashes. What a gracious exchange. But you see, that's, that's the condition, isn't it? Remember what the Lord said, Except ye repent, ye shall perish. And, and to repent, my friend, does not just simply mean that you say sorry. That's not repentance. Repentance means you stop doing it. And you only stop doing it because you mean it. And because there has been a fundamental change in your heart, you don't just have a prick of conscience, but you realize, I am nothing apart from God. Now I would be lost without his grace in Christ. And they are adorned in Christ's righteousness. Yeah, beauty for ashes, the beauty of Christ. Then second of all, the oil of joy for mourning, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Now, you'll notice that one flows to the next. This person mourns. 
I want to ask you, do you mourn? What do you, what do you mourn over? You don't mourn over this world. You don't mourn over things that you could have had. You've kissed them goodbye. But you mourn because you realize you're not the person you should be. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, says the Lord Jesus. Now let me ask you that. Do, do you mourn over sin? Or, or are you just somebody that fears going to hell? You know, even the devil's fear, we're told. There's a big difference, isn't there? Does it, do you mourn because you grieve God? That's somebody who's had a change of heart. He realizes he offends God. He goes to do good and he finds that there's, there's always sin there. But the Lord, what does he do in exchange? Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. This person, he may weep over his sin, but there's joy because he finds that the Lord helps him and strengthens him. This person is reliant upon God, not trying to, well, I suppose, do the best he can. You've heard that. You say, well, you hear people say, well, being a Christian is just doing your best, giving it your best. No. When you truly mourn, the Lord comes and he helps. He helps those who are helpless and who cry with Paul, a wretched man that I am. <laughs> I wonder if you feel yourself to be wretched, friend. That's the problem with many people. They don't mourn over anything. They don't mourn over sin. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that are meek, precisely meek, because they realize, you know, hey, when somebody says something about you, we were just talking about this today, and you know, maybe you've had this happen to you, somebody says something about you, and you're not somebody who quickly rises up, how dare they? But you realize, just as well they don't know everything about me. Just as well they don't know everything about me. You're meek. You're slow to speak. And you're gentle then with others, you see. And what does he do? What does he do for such a person? He gives them joy. And they have joy because, you know what? They're not constantly fighting battles, not constantly in a conflict with other people. But they've got joy. The joy is they know the Lord and the Lord has not condemned them. My friends, this, this is about a relationship with the Lord. Who really believe on Jesus Christ. Who trust in him. The shedding of his blood for their sins. Dying in their stead. Trusting in him. And leaning on his own righteousness. Thank God all of our sins aren't exposed in this life. You know, one day... All the sins of all men will be made known. The secrets of the hearts of men will be made known. 
And you know what, God's people? Here's the wonderful thing. Their sins, God has dealt with. In the oceanness of his forgetfulness, he has cast the sins of his people as far as the east is from the west. It doesn't mean to say that when we sin, that God is not grieved, but he will not bring it against his people. And so they that mourn will find comfort. Those of you who are not saved, you know the Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What God's people find is this, we want you to know this, that we who have mourned can take great confidence in this, that the Lord Jesus Christ has met all the demands of the law for us, not only that, but all the penalties that were against God's people have been taken out of the way. And therefore there's no complaining. We're just thankful. And there's joy. There's joy. Forgiveness. Maybe you've been somebody who has owed a great debt in your life. And somebody has paid it. What is there? There's joy. And there's peace. Where there's joy, there's peace. And there's no hostility. My friend, but it really, it only belongs to those who are prepared to be dust and ashes. Their eyes have been opened to what they are, vile. As Job said, a worm. Yes. These are God's people. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 14, 9, fools make a mock at sin. That is... What does that mean? That, that means they treat sin lightly. Oh, sin, oh, it's such a small thing. You're making such a big deal over sin. But the Christian says, no, no, I'm not. I hate it. And I hate what it did to my Savior. He had to give his life as a ransom for me. He had to die in my place. Yeah, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does God give to them that mourn? The oil of joy. Oil was usually associated really with the blessing of God. And really, what does God give? He gives the Holy Spirit to his people who mourn. And notice, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Is there a spirit of heaviness, my friend, in your life? The things in this life can bring much trouble. Our sin, all kinds of things, bring you low. What does God do in exchange for the spirit of heaviness? The garment of praise. Those who are laid low in their spirits. Here is the heavy, downcast soul. A soul that is clogged up, as it were, with sorrow. This is not somehow morbid introspection of somebody who is melancholy. Who is just depressed. I'm talking about sin is a real reason to be depressed. 
But you know what? God gives the garment of praise. Think of the prodigal son. He went on in his way. He squandered all of his inheritance. He said to his father, give me my inheritance. He's almost saying to his father, I wish you dead. And he went and he lived and he lived a riotous life. And eventually, after having spent his money on wild and unseemly woman, he had no money left in his pocket, no friends left. And he was given work in looking after the pigs and he even ate the pig's food. And it says he came to his mind, came to his right mind. And the father sees the young man coming down and he gives him a garment, doesn't he? And this praise. That's the Lord's people. Here's the person that does not look down on others, but he looks down on himself. That's a Christian. He's not self-righteous. But he sees he's unrighteous. You know your heart as I know my heart tonight. We know that we are but an unclean thing. But the Lord in his gracious mercy, my friend, gives these things. With such who have such a disposition. Why? Have a look that they might be called trees of unrighteous of righteousness and what is it it's the planting of the lord the lord did it not you now here's the question has this been done in your life you know we can come along to church and look down our snouts on other people and criticize other religions and other people. You just become a Pharisee, my friend. No better. These people are poor in spirit. These people are meek. And in their life, despite, as they look at themselves, they say, I... I am this vile person. But the Lord says, the trees of righteousness, they hunger and they thirst for righteousness in their life. They want purity of heart. They want to be like the Lord. They want to be like Christ. Why? Because Christ is in them. Christ is in them. That they might be called trees of righteousness. I want to point you there to Romans chapter 6. You notice what Paul says? Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, 
that like as unto Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now notice, for we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. Friends, this is the planting of the Lord. You say, my old life is dead. I'm ashamed of what I was. And if there's any boast in me now, I boast in Jesus Christ. I boast in his grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace of God in me has not been in vain. Though poor and weak and feeble and sinful I am, I can say, I am the planting of the Lord. This is his grace toward me. Now what is the proper and appropriate response to all this? The Lord said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These people, they are constantly casting themselves on the Lord. They realize they are not what they should be. They realize they are but dust and ashes. But the Lord gives these gracious exchanges for such a spirit. He has produced such a spirit, hasn't he? Many of us can say that there was a time when we were not heavy over our sin. We were too light over our sin. We were too casual. This is what it means to have repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just take you, first of all, as we close now, to Matthew 7. We'll just close with some verses there. Matthew 7. And you know the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus Christ, what is he doing? He's teaching what God's people are like, what real Christians are like. He's contrasting over and against the Pharisees constantly. You've heard it said, and this is what they practice. These are hypocrites. And we read in Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Many people have a religion, and they play at it, and they think they're on the way to heaven. But what does he say? Because straight or narrow or constricted is the gate, and narrow is the way. It's a narrow gate, and it's a narrow way. Only a narrow gate leads to a narrow life of self-abasement, my friends. Self-abasement, self-abasement. That's the life. Denying self. Saying, I'm nothing. I'm a nobody, really. And it's, again, it's not melancholy. It's honesty. But narrow is the way which leadeth into life. And few there be that find it. And you read the rest of this parable... He speaks about trees. Every tree that bringeth forth, verse 19, not forth good fruit, is hewn down. You may say you are the planting of the Lord, but if there's no fruit in the life, my friend, it's hewn down. 
And then he gives an analogy, doesn't he, about two builders. One man, he builds his house and he builds his house on the sand. And he calls him as a fool. The word actually in the Greek is the word moron. And that's where you get the word moron from. He builds his house on the sand. What kind of a man is he? He's the one who hears the word of God and does not do it. He's self-deceived. He's religious. There's no mourning. And where there's no mourning, my friends, there's no doing. The heart that really mourns, really yearns to do. But what does he say? Not everyone, verse 21, that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom, but he that doeth the will of my Father. And then he goes on to say, notice, about these two houses. He says there in the verse 24, Therefore, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken to him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. You see, Christ is that rock. And he is the one that gives these things. He is the one that gives beauty for ashes. Joy for mourning. And a heavy spirit, he gives a garment of praise. And they desire to do his will. Now notice, the man who is wise hears Christ's word and does them. And the rain descends and the flood comes. It's a picture of Judgment Day. And that house does not fall. But the man that hears, oh yes, this is like in Ezekiel's day. Ezekiel, the Lord said to some people, you're as a fine sounding music. Oh, we love to hear the preaching of the word. The preacher takes us up. But they go home He says, and they carry on with their lives. What's that? As a man self-deceived. You can even admire the preaching and be taken up. And all the preaching of the word is, is like a beautiful, you may as well go to the opera in London, my friend, and listen to some opera music tonight. It's just music to the ears. How do you know whether you've been converted? You hear and you do. And what do you do? You mourn. You repent. And you believe that God gives to all who truly mourn and repent the garment of the righteousness of his dear son. You in all your filth and your sin-stained life, even your righteousnesses, my friends, God says, are as filthy rags before God. Don't ever say you're better than other people. What's the point in that? God wouldn't accept you anyway, even if you were better. Even if you were better, he'd never receive you. He only receives through his son. And thank God he does. Salvation is in the son. And those who are Christ's obey his word. He said... Greater love hath no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. And then he quickly says, And ye are my friends, if ye keep my commandments. You're not Christ's friend, friend. 
if you have no desire to please him. Where are we? As the Christian looks at his life, he said, God, I failed again and again. And the Christian, he's always mourning. He's always heavy, but he always finds joy in the morning. He always finds peace. And the only confidence that he has is the righteousness of God's Son. Remember David Dixon, I said, one of the Puritans, he was asked the question on his deathbed, what are you thinking about now? What are you, what's going through your mind? He says, I am bundling up together all my righteous deeds and putting them in one bundle and I am casting them at the foot of the cross and leaning wholly on the finished works of Jesus Christ. And my friend, unless you do that, you'll be lost. That's what the child of God does. Thank God for Jesus Christ.